And a good Saturday morning to you. 36 is our Twin City temperature reading. Time for our wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. Hi, Denny. How are things going? Things are going okay, you know, and I hope they are on your end, too. They aren't doing too badly, that's for sure. Are you going to be going hunting? Uh, of course. Of course. I thought you might. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, everybody I mean, else is. Everybody's out hunting this morning. Uh I thought we would <coughs> talk a little bit. Last week we talked about Napa, and because of the fires and the devastation out there, and Haskell's, of course, is very involved. We're giving 10% of all Napa and Sonoma wines uh, that we sell over the, through the end of, through Sunday for the last two weeks uh, to the relief funds, both for Napa. We're going to divide them equally between Napa and Sonoma. And I thought, in as much as I talked about Napa last week, I talked a little bit about Sonoma Good. this week. And not to mention, we're planning a WCCO trip uh, that... to Sonoma with a couple of the Farrell boys, Ted and Bo Farrell, are going to accompany you on that trip, and that should be a lot of fun. It always is, yep. Indeed. But anyhow, first and foremost, the history of Sonoma is remarkable. You could really argue that it was the birthplace of commercial wine in California, and you wouldn't get many people to disagree with you. You know, wine was obviously planted by Junipero Serra hundreds of years ago as he established those missions up and down the California coast, uh, you know, starting out in San Diego and going all the way up to Sacramento. And Sonoma was one of those missions that was founded. And, of course, the monks needed uh, wine for religious services. So, uh, services. so they grew mission grapes. But, but Sonoma was the first one to really commercially uh, grow grapes. And that was done by the Mexican governor of Viajo of, uh, when it was a state of Mexico, and he was making in the 1850s about twenty twenty five thousand dollars a year off his vineyards in Sonoma, and commercially. And of course, there were small commercial wineries around uh, Los Angeles at the time, and even a few not far out of San Francisco at the time. But this was really big money in the 1850s. Then came along a remarkable fellow who was politically in tune, which was important. He was a Hungarian named Anton Hazardsky, and he really is sort of the father of the California wine industry. And he purchased from Viajo his vineyard and renamed it Buena Vista, Beautiful View. And Buena Vista Winery is still in use today. I, the CCO trip went there, I think, twice. Uh, it's owned today by uh, a Actually, an interesting marriage, Gina Gallo and John Charles Boisset. Boisset is a big French winemaking concern, and of course we all know about Gallo here. Anyhow, John Charles and Gina own Buena Vista today, and it's a wonderful place to visit because he is as much a theater man as he is a winemaker, and he's a darn good winemaker, I might add, John Charles. He hires the best and lets them do their thing, and it reflective in all of his properties. But Buena Vista was started by Hazardsky. When Hazardsky got the state legislature at one of its first meetings in the 1850s in California to give him some money to go to California or go to Europe, and he came back with about 100,000 different cuttings of grapes from all over uh, Europe. And uh, that was the beginning of the commercial wine industry 
uh, in California. And he supplied through the state these cuttings to everybody who were vineyard people, and thus the popularity of European varietals, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, uh, Zinfandel. Zinfandel, you know, for years they called the American weed. They couldn't figure out where it came from. And then it's DNA testing proved it's the same as the Primitivo of Italy and the same as a grape I can't quite pronounce from Croatia, which was the original Zinfandel. But anyhow, uh, Sonoma is really best for Pinot Noir, in my opinion. Perhaps the best area in all of California for Pinot Noir. It makes very, very good Cabernet there. And, uh, but Pinot Noir seems to thrive in the area. You know, uh, today, Sonoma County boasts over 70,000 acres of vineyards, and that's uh, really pretty big. And it's all over. It, it's interesting because Sonoma has so many areas. It's a big county, and it has 17 viticultural areas uh, in that whole big county. And so it grows uh, all sorts of wonderful grape types. Like I say, in my opinion, I think the thing it does best is those Pinot Noirs from the Russian River Valley uh, in Sonoma are some of the best in California. However, there's some remarkable Chardonnays and some we'd be terribly remiss not to mention the Cabernets that are available there. You know, Pinot Noir is a notoriously difficult grape to grow. And uh, in Sonoma County, 20% of the grape uh, plantations are Pinot Noir. That's about a percent and a half higher, 18.5% Cabernet, but not much more than Cabernet. But that's a remarkable statistic. You couldn't say that in any other California region where Pinot Noir is actually the number one red grape type grown there. Today there's 450 wineries along that beautiful rugged coast of the Pacific Ocean that uh, forms the outer, the uh, western edge of Sonoma County. And in my honest opinion, some of the best Northern California wines comes from Sonoma. The, the, they have those wonderful farm-to-table restaurants. Uh, it's really a great place to visit, uh, wine tasting, etc., etc. It's just absolutely amazing. But the, uh, the difference in Cabernet and uh, Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir is a relatively newcoming grape to, to California and really to the United States. While we've had it for a long time, it was notoriously difficult. It has thin skin and thus and it requires a cool climate to develop properly. Uh, it certainly isn't the type of wine you could grow in the Central Valley, which is hot and produces lots of grapes for lots of bulk wines, uh, because it requires that cool thing. And then what really changed things around was cool fermentation, where they could put refrigerator belts on those big stainless steel tanks uh, and build in refrigeration in those big stainless steel tanks. So that cool Fermentation enabled the winemakers to start making Pinot Noir instead of Cabernet. Cabernet is a small little grape with thick skins, and, and it's pretty tough to screw up. Uh, however, Pinot Noir is delicate, and uh, it, as I said, it, it's because of that thin skin, it's susceptible to mold and uh, to rot. And, of course, that famous movie Sideways really popularized Pinot Noir 
uh, unbelievably. Unfortunately, it was very bad for Merlot. So it wasn't really very good uh, for uh, the Merlot grape growers. And I'll tell you, because of that, you can get great buys on Merlot today. And that movie was 10 or 12 years ago at least. And it's still reflected in the small demand for Merlot, believe it or not. Although I find Merlot absolutely delicious, and particularly the Merlots from the state of Washington are something to behold, always have been. But anyhow, we're talking about Pinot Noir in Sonoma, and Sideways helped push the popularity of Pinot Noir. Unlike other grape types, Pinot Noir is rarely, rarely, if ever, blended. So when you buy a bottle of Pinot Noir, generally you're getting 100% Pinot Noir. And Pinot Noir is highly lauded for its wonderful aromas, you know, fruit, potpourri, damp hay, mushroom, uh, are some of the adjectives people use when they describe the aromas and bouquets of Pinot Noir. And the taste is always red berry and even cherry cola taste uh, with Pinot Noir. So you can see why it's so popular. And uh, they rarely, rarely use uh, wood like they do with Cabernet Sauvignon. Cabernet needs that tannin that oak imparts. Pinot Noir, of course, benefits from it, but you rarely taste the oak in it because it's a light oaky flavor in Pinot Noir, unlike Cabernet and other grape types that are more hearty, etc. And, of course, the the wineries of the area are are really something to behold. Deloche is a favorite of ours, makes a great Pinot Noir that's not terribly expensive. It, again, is one of the holdings of uh, John Charles Boisset, and uh, it's uh, just worth seeking out. It's that good. There's one, Angel's Landing, which makes a Pinot Noir and a Cabernet, both from Sonoma, that are very, very affordable and quite good. And just think of that Angel's Landing. It tastes like the angels made the wine. It's that good. And then there's some other classic names from Sonoma. Kistler, Flowers, Rodney Strong, Pine Ridge, Landmark. Uh, the list go on and on. Protest, which is a whiskey barrel uh, Cabernet. And, you know, that's gotten very popular. They put the wine in used whiskey barrels for two months. And something wonderful happens, the winemakers think, and thus the Cabernet that's been aged in a little whiskey barrel for two months seems to be very popular at the moment. I don't know. I think the jury's out on that. It's sort of faddish as I see it. But it's popular with people. And as I said, that Russian River Valley, Carneros, all these are areas of Sonoma that are extraordinarily good for growing Pinot Noir. And uh, we shouldn't forget Chardonnay because the Chardonnays that come out of uh, Sonoma are remarkable too. And, and Cabernets, you know, a, and a very affordable Cabernet is Louis Martini. You know, that's under $11. <laughs> the 14 vintage of uh, Louis Martini Cabernet uh, was given by Robert Parker, who's kind of a notoriously harsh critic, over 90 points. So the wine is very, very good, and for a Cabernet to be that inexpensive, Martini has always prided themselves on making good Cabernet that doesn't break the bank. They make a little more expensive one, too, but the low-end one is really 
a very, very good. And if you're on a tight budget for under $11, it's a Cabernet you'll want to seek out. I bet we have a taste or two of those items that you mentioned when we head to Sonoma next May. I think you will taste a lot of them, I hope. I think we will indeed. Well, uh, Jack, uh, let's before you head out here, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going on at Haskell's these days. Well, actually, tomorrow, I keep forgetting, we're open on Sundays. And incidentally, we do deliver on Sundays. Haskell's big annual fall sale uh, is over as of tomorrow. And don't forget, on every bottle of Sonoma wine or Napa Valley wine, 10% of the proceeds go to support the relief fund for the fire victims of the fire, and a lot of those poor victims were poor wine workers, etc. So Haskell's folks will help you pair a wine, whether it's from Sonoma or Napa or France or Italy, and they'll pair it perfectly with whatever you're preparing. And best of all, they're going to help you pick a wine that will not break the bank. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big, big dollars on wine. Haskell's in Bloomington, Haskell's out in Chanhassen. There's a Haskell's in downtown Excelsior, as there is in Faribault right off of 35. Our super seller up in Maple Grove is not to be believed. Haskell's, of course, in downtown Minneapolis on Saturday has free parking. Haskell's at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village. There's a Haskell's in Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. If you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com or go to WCCO.com slash wine. It'll take you right to the Haskell's website where you can order to your heart's desire any of these wonderful wines from Napa or Sonoma and, incidentally, help out with the fire relief. All right, very good, Jack. I hope we can talk next week if you have time. I'm going to look forward to it. All right, thanks very much, Jack. Family-run business, Haskell's is. And we'll talk with Jack next uh, Saturday morning. And the trip to Sonoma is on.